poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Amen. I don't get a chance to get up here very often, so you can see how eager I am to get to the pulpit. And I usually preach from the uh, pulpit and not from here, so this is a bit of a new thing. All my Christian life, I've been struggling with the issue of grace and works. First sermon that I preached at Christ Church Cathedral when I first moved to BC over 20 years ago was on that topic. I came down on the grace side and was reminded by more than one person as I greeted the congregation after the service about the importance of works. James, in his letter, tells us that faith by itself without works is dead. But then, of course, that great apostle of justification by faith alone, Martin Luther, called James, called James' letter the epistle of straw. So faith or works, works or faith. Then along comes the gospel reading for this morning. A man runs up, kneels before Jesus and asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Matthew's gospel helps us out here. In his gospel, the man says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus tells him to obey the commandments. And the man says, well, he's kept all the commandments since his youth. And then the text says, Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, you lack one thing. Go sell what you own, give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And when the man heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving, for he had many possessions. This man asked Jesus what he had to do to have eternal life, and when he got the answer, he could not, or he would not, do what Jesus told him to do. It seems to me that this is a story more, uh, that's more than about uh, being rich and giving your money away to the poor. Can wealth be a barrier to the kingdom of heaven? You bet it can. It certainly was this man's barrier, for he was shocked at what Jesus said and went away grieving because he had so many possessions. However, is wealth a greater barrier than, say, fame or reputation or family or pride or drugs or health or pleasure or any of the other things we put in God's place? Maybe. Maybe not. What Jesus did for this particular man in his particular situation, loving him, was to point out that no good deed by itself leads to eternal life. Eternal life, entrance into the kingdom of God, is a gift of grace. It is given by a loving, gracious, merciful God. It cannot be earned. This is Luther's discovery of justification by faith alone that turned the Christian world on its ear 500 years ago and brought in the Protestant Reformation. 
As Jesus reminds his disciples in the second half of our reading for this morning, no one can be saved in virtue of what they can do. Everyone can be saved in virtue of what God can do. So after that reading from Amos, we'll know that religious people and Christians in particular, on occasion, talk about humanity being divided into two groups. You know, there's the elect and the rejected, the saved and the lost, the believing and the ungodly, those who are chosen, and those who are merely called. Conventional Christian wisdom says the difference between the two groups is a matter of faith. We have it, they don't. And that's true as far as it goes, but it really doesn't go very far. For where does faith come from, if not from God? It is God who separates the sheep from the goats. Christ, through the Holy Spirit, separates the believers from the non-believers, the elect from the rejected. If many are called but few are chosen, it's because Christ only chooses the few. The truth is, Apart from Christ, there is no difference at all between the believer and the non-believer. It is following Christ itself that is the difference. That's what Jesus was pointing to when he said, no one can come to me unless drawn by the Father who sent me. And those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. In choosing the elect, Finding the lost and the giving of faith is God's free, merciful gift and grace. It is the overwhelming of God's love for us, the overflowing love. Why we, us sitting here this morning and all saints in Vernon, should be chosen and saved and set free and released is the mystery and miracle of God. And for this mystery and miracle, we can only be grateful and say, thank you, Jesus. We know in that moment of joy and gratefulness and thanksgiving and trusting faith that we are loved and chosen and honored and saved and forgiven in Christ. And there's nothing blind about this faith. Of course, we'd like to sort of peek into God's mind and know why me and not her But that knowledge is not something we can ever be party to, at least not in this life, and maybe not in the next. But we do know other things. We know that all people can have what we have, that in Christ all humanity is already known and forgiven and loved and saved. We do know that no human being is in principle lost and unredeemable. We know that Jesus died and rose again to set all humanity free. In the godless, we can see and know what we ourselves were and are and will be apart from the cross and the grace of Christ. We most especially can see this and know it when we see the saved and the rejected facing each other in each one of us. 
Our salvation is not the result of our own effort, but the result of God's overflowing love and kindness. We know this. We know that we need this overflowing love and kindness to greet us anew every morning if we are to go on in our Christian life of faith and obedience. We know that Christ, through the Holy Spirit, will continue to pour this into our hearts because he is good and his love is everlasting and in his loving kindness he will meet us at every corner. What can one do in the face of all this love and truth and goodness but praise and give thanks to God? What else can we do? We can live the life of faith and obedience to which Jesus Christ has called us. The Christian life is a life of faith and obedience, of grace and works. We don't have to choose between faith and works. Nevertheless, grace always comes first. Works are our response to God's loving action in our life. We are not only justified by the grace of God, we are also sanctified, made holy by that same grace. And justified and sanctified, we are called to conform our lives to the life of Christ Jesus, to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Like the rich man in the story, we are all called to follow Jesus. For those of us who know Christ Jesus, or rather, those of us who are known by him, following Jesus is the only activity that can ever really satisfy us. Any other way of living is impossible. We are compelled by the love of Christ to follow him. How could one choose otherwise? Well, though there are those who are offended by the fact that having God with us means that God imposes himself upon us. God does not ask our permission to be our God. There was no consultation when God rendered uh, humankind the object of God's gracious election. God created us to function in a particular way, namely as his covenant partners to follow after Jesus, to love God and our neighbor, to be kind and gracious and patient and joyful. This is what we are. This is what we've been created for. This is how we are designed to function. And only this will completely give us peace. St. Augustine said that there is a God-shaped hole in our hearts, and our hearts are and will forever be restless until they rest in God. However, there are those, and in truth be told, from time to time we are among them, who want to do things their own way. There are those, and from time to time we are among them, who resent the idea of being God's children. We are not children, we cry. We have come of age. And just who does God think he is anyway, telling us this is the way it is, whether we like it or not? Nevertheless, this is the way it is, whether we like it or not. No one can be saved in virtue of what they can do. Everyone can be saved in virtue of what God can do. This is the way it is. But we don't have to like it. 
We don't have to follow Jesus despite the fact that this is exactly what we've been created for and despite the fact that nothing else in the end will give us the peace and rest that we long for. We don't have to follow Jesus. It is our choice. In the end, following Jesus is the only good work we can do. Following Jesus, this is the one thing we must never lack doing. God the Father declaring that this is the way uh, it is. Jesus Christ, God the Son, dying and raising again for our salvation. And God the Holy Spirit opening our minds and hearts to this good news. All this is the guarantee that as it was, is now, and it will always be. This is the way it is. And we can count on it and trust it and base our lives on it because this is the way God wants it to be and what God wants, God gets. All this means that we can never give in to despair about either our own lives or about the state of our world. That despite how often it looks, life is not a tragedy, there is always hope. And in the end, God's final word is never no, but always yes. In the end, as Julian of Norwich put it, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. Amen.